The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. We are in the middle of one of the most interesting stock market related stories that I can remember in a really long time. And when I say we're in the middle of it, we are really in the middle of it. So I hope to do justice to what's gone on so far. And the way I'm describing this is a GameStop short squeeze that is potentially going to nuke some hedge funds. And let's just start at at the beginning. Uh, Companies exist. And some of them are publicly traded, meaning you can buy shares in those companies. I know I'm going very, very basic here. One such company is GameStop. GameStop is a a chain of stores where you can buy video games. And of course, with the advent of buying video games online and having them delivered digitally through, for example, Steam, a service that uh, um, is available to download games, Um, GameStop had been struggling for some time. Coronavirus then hit, which dramatically decreased the number of people that were doing in-person shopping, especially for something like video games when you can just get them on the Internet already. So GameStop stock started to decline. And this led to a lot of people and subsequently hedge funds short selling the stock. Now, what does it mean to short sell a stock? Again, we're not going to do an hour on short selling, but the the gist of it is as follows. The way most of us think about investing in stocks for what we might call the long term is that we are long on a stock, meaning you buy it at a certain price. The plan is to hold it. Hopefully the price goes up and then you sell the stock. If you buy it fifty dollars a share, sell at $100 a share, you make $50 per share. But you can do essentially the reverse. You can short sell a stock. And what that means is you are placing a bet that the stock goes down rather than up. And instead of first doing the buying and then doing the selling, you are first selling borrowed stock and then you are repurchasing it in the future. And with that same fifty and hundred dollar number in reverse, you can make fifty dollars per share. If there is a stock trading now at one hundred dollars per share that I believe in the future will trade at fifty, I can borrow and sell shares for one hundred dollars. When it drops to 50, I buy them for fifty dollars and now I've made fifty dollars per share. The risk is there's only so much a stock can go down zero, meaning if you invest a thousand dollars, that could end up being worth zero and you're out a thousand dollars. When you short sell, there's really no limit to how much you can lose. You can borrow shares and if they go from a thousand to two thousand dollars, you've lost a thousand dollars. But if they go from one thousand to three thousand dollars, you've now lost two thousand dollars. And as you can see, there's no limit to the amount that you can lose. Indeed, what took place is that a bunch of different hedge funds and big investors were certain of the demise of GameStop stock. They shorted it and a now this is where there start to be different opinions about exactly the the sequence. But the long and short of it is that some online uh, uh, enclaves where stock trades are discussed, including a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, uh, 
pointed out, hey, look at this. There are a lot of shorts here that could potentially be squeezed. I am going to start buying and buying and buying this stock. That is exactly what tons of people did. And the the price of the stock exploded, meaning that these hedge funds are now very upside down soon. Many of these hedge funds are going to remember your first selling and then buying when you short. They are going to have to buy and they are going to have to buy at way more than they sold, putting them underwater and in fact putting some hedge funds as far as we are being told at risk of insolvency, at risk of going out of business. Um, a few interesting takes on this. Uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez tweeted, Gotta admit, it's really something to see Wall Streeters with a long history of treating our economy as a casino complain about a message board of posters also treating the market as a casino. Our friend Anna Kasparian from the Young Turks tweeting, tweeting. So market manipulation by Federal Reserve pumping money into failing banks and corporations is OK. But Reddit users rallying GameStop is wrong and must be regulated. The entire stock market is disconnected from reality. Funny how quickly the financial press cries for hedge funds. So here's my take on this. This run up of the stock price of GameStop is no more wrong than the other types of speculation, including the shorting that others do just because it's being organized on Reddit instead of by hedge funds high up. Uh, in in skyscrapers in Wash in uh, New York City doesn't make it any more right or wrong. What this does expose again, in case you forgot, is that the stock market is not the economy. And so much like when we say, oh, stocks are up, but it's hedge funds making money. That's not really the economy. The posters on Reddit that are doing this now making a bunch of money. It's also not the economy. It just reminds us the stock market is not the economy. Now, uh, these hedge funds made risky deals. And uh, if the stock bark, if the stock price kept declining, they would have made a bunch of money. It went up. So now they're at risk of losing money. There are now a bunch of hedge funds that are saying this isn't OK and we need regular. This shouldn't be allowed to happen. Well, hold on a second. If you want to do risky things, it's risk reward. The possibility of a big reward comes with risk. You can't now say you want the big reward, but you want the risk taken off the table by the government. They are saying it, but it is extraordinarily hypocritical. Now, there's a really important uh, aspect to this, which is that many of the uh, commentaries, the hot takes are uh, people debating whether the Wall Street bets posters who are running up the price of the stock are sincerely buying GameStop stock because they believe it's a good company with good prospects or whether they are ironically buying GameStop stock or cynically buying the stock. That doesn't matter. That could not be less relevant. That's what hedge funds do. Do you think that hedge funds and other investors are saying we only buy long or short sell a stock based on our sincerely held deep down beliefs about the ethics and business prospects and management of the company. No, they're making speculative bets either way. And the idea about, oh, these aren't genuine pumpers. What difference does it make? That's the whole point of uh, uh, many of the people who have been saying the behavior by the hedge funds is predatory and cynical. 
Now they are saying, well, no, no, no. The, the Wall Street bets people are the cynical ones who thought to apply that to when Kelly Leffler, senator, former senator from Georgia, made those stock moves uh, once she was briefed about what was happening and what was incoming with the pandemic. Was she saying, "Ooh, I don't think the management of these companies. No, she predicted that there were going to be uh, uh, general shocks to the system that would make these uh, shares be worth less. And so she decided to sell. It wasn't she thought it was a good company or she thought the management team over the long. She just got out in order to avoid losing money. Uh, and by the way, what's a stock buyback at its core? When a company buys back its own stock, the point is to pump the price back up. It is not. Well, we feel so confident in our business model that we are going to invest in our own. Come on, come on. That it would be cynical to think that's what's going on. So there's a case here to be made for transaction taxes, which eliminates this issue of are they genuine or cynical stock trades? And uh, why would you expect anything else when this is the way that the stock market operates? There's two sides to it. And I am as curious as everybody else. Uh, to see what happens with this. I am thrilled to report to you that the Joe Biden administration has frozen U.S. weapons sales to Saudi Arabia. The Biden administration is freezing two big arms deals with Saudi Arabia as well as the United Arab Emirates. And these were approved very late in the Trump administration, and they are now on pause. This is related to the sale of some F-35 jets as well as attack drones to the UAE and a very big supply of various munitions, elements of munitions uh, to Saudi Arabia. These are stopped and they are going to be reviewed. This would be a huge policy shift from the Trump era and really a big policy shift in general for the United States State State Department. Um, and we have been talking about the has it been? I think it's been a decade that I've been talking about the perverse relationship with Saudi Arabia on this program. Um, the senior uh, U.S. official who commented on this said that these are routine administrative actions typical to any transition. You just were putting a pause to review pending arms deals. And they sort of are seemingly trying to downplay the geopolitical significance, but I don't think it should be downplayed. Let's wait and see what they decide. If then they say in a month, oh, yeah, we're going to just go through with it. Uh, well, then maybe really this is no big deal. But so far, this appears to be uh, a significant, a significant decision that's being made. I like what I see now. Uh, if we think about engagement with the progressive base of the Democratic Party, as well as more left leaning independents. This is a good step by the Biden administration. Of course, it remains to be seen what ultimately happens with these paused deals. But so far, there is a lot to be optimistic about. And, and very importantly, this reminds us both sides aren't the same. Trump spent his administration bragging about arms deals with Saudi Arabia when asked about stopping the deals over the murder of Shem Jamal Khashoggi. He said, well, there's a lot of jobs out there. Remember this Jamal Khashoggi, the journalist, the yes. Saudi journalist. Yes. Was he murdered by the Saudis and did the prince give the order to kill him? Well, nobody knows yet, but we'll probably be able to find out it's being investigated. 
It's being looked at very, very strongly. And we would be very upset and angry if that were the case. As of this moment, they deny it. And they not deny it vehemently. Could it be them? Yes. Jared, your yeah. son-in-law, got on the phone and asked the prince. Did he, what, did he deny it? Did he? They deny it. They deny it every way you can imagine. In the not-too-distant future, I think we'll know an answer. What are your options? Let's say they did. What are your options? Would you consider imposing sanctions as a bipartisan group of senators have proposed? Well, it depends on what the sanction is. I'll give you an example. They are ordering military equipment. Everybody in the world wanted that order. Russia wanted it. China wanted it. We wanted it. We got it. So would you cut that off? Do I, well, I'll tell you what I don't want to do. Boeing, Lockheed, Raytheon, all these I don't want to hurt jobs. Here's another one where Donald Trump was asked about the same thing. Be in favor of stopping a country from spending $110 billion, which is an all-time record, and letting Russia have that money and letting China have that money, because all they're going to do is say, that's okay. We don't have to buy it from Boeing. We don't have to buy it from Lockheed. We don't have to buy it from Raytheon and all these great companies. We'll buy it from Russia. We'll buy it from China. So what good does that do us? There are other things we can do now. Donald Trump is not wrong. I mean, Trump is right that there are U.S. There are jobs in the United States connected to selling weapons to Saudi Arabia. That's true. What makes the freeze all the more notable and if they stick to it and cancel the deals all the more brave is that there are jobs connected to this and there will be people who say anything that creates jobs must be done, no matter how unethical or immoral or uh, counter to our uh, stated values as a country. If Joe Biden sticks with not going through with these sales, there will be some jobs on the line. That's true. And it will make what is a morally correct decision all, all the more uh, significant. I didn't expect to see this yesterday, and I am quite pleased we will follow it to see where it ends up. Let me know your thoughts. You can find me on Twitter at DPackman. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. One of our sponsors is a free mobile game called Word Forest, which I've been having a great time playing on my phone. There are not a lot of mobile games that I actually am into, but Word Forest is one I actually enjoy because I feel like it's helping me keep my mind sharp. We need that right now. It's a word game where you connect letters in any direction to form hidden word matches with over 2000 levels. You will never get bored of playing. It was really simple to learn how to play because it starts out easy, but I've been loving how it gets more difficult as I progress. But I find that the whole experience is just relaxing. It doesn't have to be super fast paced. It's awesome for anyone who loves word games and has a good vocabulary or wants to improve it. Go ahead and put yourself to the test. It's free. Just go to the Apple or Google store and search for word forest. One of our sponsors is Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer owned company shipping super quality CBD directly from their farm to your door. They cut out the middleman, which saves you money and gets you the freshest possible product, which includes tinctures, flour, gummies, skin topicals, even CBD coffee, which I've really enjoyed. The whole team loves Sunset Lake CBD, especially their CBD oil. 
and the gummies. We always say send us more every time we run out. CBD is reported as being useful for relieving stress, pain, inflammation. Some people use it before bed to help with sleep. And Sunset Lake is where you want to get your CBD because they pay employees a living wage. Their farm is sustainable. And of course, because they support progressive shows like ours. They're giving David Pakman show listeners 20% off when you go to davidpakman.com slash CBD and use the coupon code Pacman. That's coupon code P A K M A N. You can find the URL in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. The David Pakman Show is a primarily viewer and listener supported independent media program. I would love it if you grabbed a membership at joinpacman.com. And we do an extra show every day for our members. It's the award winning bonus show. They are awards we give out, so keep that in mind, but they are awards nonetheless. And you can sign up at joinpacman.com. Uh, we have a great discussion forum on Reddit. You can find it at davidpackman.com slash Reddit. We are approaching 30,000 of our viewers and listeners uh, subscribed to the subreddit at davidpackman.com slash Reddit. A few interesting posts I spotted this morning. Uh, Oklahoma is indeed trying to return its two million dollar stockpile of hydroxychloroquine. How funny and sad is it that nobody talks about hydroxychloroquine anymore? There was a period of time where hydroxychloroquine was being touted by Donald Trump, by Sean Hannity, by all sorts of random people who were pretending to know about coronavirus treatments that had not yet been peer reviewed. And much like we said at the time, it was something to look into and study. And much like many other possible coronavirus treatments, it turns out it was not actually effective at preventing, reducing the severity of or treating coronavirus. And now Oklahoma sitting on two million dollars worth of pills and they are trying to return them. Yes, uh, I, I have not forgotten about the hydroxychloroquine fiasco. Another user posting that intellectual dark web users, followers, believe I am now a member of the intellectual dark web. And indeed, there apparently there's a post on the intellectual dark web subreddit which lists me along with um, a whole bunch of people, some of some of whom I don't I don't actually know, um, along with Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson and others as, as being part of the intellectual dark web. I don't know how my name got on that list. I also see Sam Harris's name is on the list and I thought he turned in his uh, credentials for the intellectual dark web and said he was bailing. Um, yeah, I don't really know anything about it. I got a bunch of emails saying, David, you're now part of the IDW. I've never been asked to join. <laughs> I, I've never uh, said anything one way or the other. I don't even know the status of the intellectual dark web at this point. To be perfectly frank, I haven't heard much about it for months and months or even more than a year. So the the status of the IDW to me is unknown. My membership or lack thereof is also nebulous, so I have nothing to say about it. I'm as confused as others are. And lastly, yes, the bizarre stories equivalent to the Obama tan suit scandal about Joe Biden are starting. A bunch of people sent me this article that was posted on Foxnews.com. Joe Biden administration under fire 
for removing an Oval Office statue <laughs> uh, of Winston Churchill. Um, yeah, listen, we predicted this. We predicted this when we knew Joe Biden was going to be the next president, which, by the way, was in early November. It wasn't January 19th when some other people finally realized Biden would be president uh, or even January 20th. Um, the Republican uh, right wing media apparatus was very quickly going to go back to all of their normal tricks, talking about the debt and deficit, talking about how can we afford this? How can we afford that? Is climate change overblown and uh, equivalents to the Obama wore a tan suit at a serious event? And that was bad scandal. So no surprise whatsoever. And I do expect it to continue. Join the discussion at davidpackmancom slash reddit. This is very exciting, but also a little bit depressing because it's not going to pass the Senate. House and Senate Democrats have introduced legislation to make Washington, D.C. a state, the 51st state of the United States. This is something we've been talking about for months and months. The measure was reintroduced in the House by a delegate, Eleanor Holmes Norton. Uh, she's a Democrat who represents the District of Columbia. And the Senate version was introduced by Senator Tom Carper from Delaware. As of Tuesday evening, Norton says she has more than 200 co-sponsors in the House, but it appears as though there is no chance whatsoever that this is going to pass in the Senate. Um, Democrats control the Senate with the 50 50 split and Kamala Harris as a tie breaking vote. But Democrats would need to overcome a filibuster on this issue, which requires 60 votes. This is not something you can pass via budget reconciliation, meaning Democrats need to find 10 Republicans willing to vote. Yes, Washington, D.C. should be should be a state. Republican lawmakers for a long time have opposed Washington, D.C. statehood, as you and I have talked about before. Uh, representation in Washington, D.C. would likely be overwhelmingly Democratic, meaning two additional Democratic senators. And uh, that is not something that Republicans want to see. Now, of course, the reality is that on the merits, this makes obvious sense, even by Republican so-called values. If the Republican Party were actually principled, this should be a unanimous vote in favor of Washington, D.C. being a state. Washington, D.C. is being taxed without representation. Big government is uh, ruling over these Washington, D.C. folks without them having a voice. If this were Utah that didn't have two senators, Republicans would have voted, I don't know, decades ago and said, oh, Utah absolutely must have two senators. But the difference is Utah is very red and Washington, D.C. is very blue. But if the principle here is that people deserve representation. You're paying taxes. Why do some taxpayers get Senate representation and other taxpayers do not? It is because they know who lives in Washington, D.C., and they know how Washington, D.C. would vote. And so it's not really about principles or democracy anymore. Uh, if you are an American, you should have at least one member of the House representing you and two senators. How is this even a debate? Well, it's a debate because of the uh, false claims of values and principles when it's convenient to them for Republicans and abandoning those same principles when it no longer is convenient. Washington, D.C. has more than 100,000 more people living in it than the entire state of Wyoming. OK, if Washington, D.C. was a state, 
they would have their own National Guard. They could have responded on January 6th without having to uh, depend on uh, all of these other players to say, fine, 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 we're going to send National Guard. Washington, D.C. is the 20th largest city in the United States. Uh, that's not even the D.C. Metro. That's Washington, D.C. itself. They pay federal taxes. They pay local, ta- you know, they pay all sorts of taxes, but they have no senators. It is absolutely ridiculous. And I hope that Joe Biden will actually make this an issue. There have been questions about uh, is how much of a of, of an issue is this going to be for the Biden Harris administration? The people of Washington, D.C. deserve to be represented just as much as the people of other states. We know why Republicans aren't for it. It is not for any principle other than the principle of we are hypocrites and just do things that favor our party. That's the only principle that Republicans are abiding by and adhering to when they say, yeah, we we don't think Washington, D.C. should be a state. Now, we've talked also about Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, I believe both D.C. and Puerto Rico should be states if Puerto Rico wants to be a state, of course. Um, The difference is politically. And again, for me, it's the principle, so I don't care about this. It's less clear that Puerto Rico would probably not be unanimously Democratic in its representation. Uh, It's it's there's a larger conservative contingent in Puerto Rico. I would expect that there would probably be at least one member of the House that is a Republican that would win in Puerto Rico Um, Senate. I don't know. But the principle here makes me come to no other conclusion than D.C. should be a state. Puerto Rico should be a state. Now, I know people will say, well, what about American Samoa? What about Guam? Okay, we're we're dealing with Puerto Rico and and Washington, D.C. right now. Send me your thoughts about this. What could convince 10 Democrats, 10 Republicans in the Senate to say, yeah, I will vote for D.C. statehood. Let me know your thoughts. We'll have continued coverage of this on our Instagram page at David Pakman Show. And you can follow me on Instagram as well at david.pakman. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. You may not have known this, but when you see me sitting here on the show, I am often wearing shirts by a company called Teddy Stratford. I asked them to be a sponsor because they are by far my favorite shirts that I own with almost all other slim fit button up shirts I've worn. You get this annoying stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are, which does not look good. But what makes Teddy Stratford shirts unique is this patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which actually prevents the chest from looking weird and stretched out like that. It looks really good. And just all around, they cut the entire shirt in a specific way that makes your upper body look a lot better. It's just a much nicer and more stylish fit than you get from other shirts. And they hand make everything with 100 percent Egyptian cotton and flat felled seams, which means it's going to be a lot more durable than other shirts and last a lot longer, which I really love. Go check them out at davidpackmancom slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15 percent off your first order if you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout. That's P-A-K-M-A-N. One of our sponsors today is Nebbia, the creator of the world's most innovative showerhead. It uses only about half the water that other showerheads do, saving you money, helping the environment. But it's actually a lot more powerful than other showerheads on the market. It has twice the coverage of other showerheads. The water sprays with a ton of pressure. 
I've been using it in my bathroom at home. I love it. Only took a few minutes to set up really easy. And it's been a totally different experience than any other shower head I've used. I can get in and out of the shower way quicker now because of how powerful it is. It only takes a few seconds to get completely rinsed off. So I was actually amazed that it's only using about half as much water. Nebbia also offers a number of shower accessories like shelves and curtains, which match perfectly with the design of the shower head. The shower head is just one ninety nine, but you'll get 15 percent off when you go to nebbia.com slash Pacman pod and use coupon code Pacman pod. That's N E B I A dot com slash P A K M A N P O D and use coupon code Pacman pod for 15 percent off. And you can find the URL in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. Today, I'm going to be speaking with David Livingstone Smith, who's a professor of philosophy at the University of New England in Maine and also author of the book on inhumanity, dehumanization and, and how to resist it. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, David. So to set the stage for the conversation, when we talk about dehumanization and inhumanity, there are a lot of ways that we could sort of define those ideas. But what what do you mean when you talk about that? Well, dehumanization is a word that's used in so many different ways. I mean, even in, in the scholarly literature, what I mean by dehumanization is the attitude of conceiving of other people as subhuman creatures. And in history, there are so many different um, examples of when we can say that this dehumanization took place. There are times where it can take place um, by people who are trying to uh, justify horrible acts of violence. There are times when dehumanization might even be a, a coping mechanism by someone exposed to extremely harsh or difficult conditions in, in some way, shape or form. What are some of the different ways that in human history this has manifested? Well, almost always uh, dehumanization is the product of propaganda. So it's not something that spontaneously arises in the human mind. Rather, it's the result of people in positions of power who want us to do terrible things to one another. And the paradigmatic example of that is is genocide. So if those in power, those who are in positions of authority can convince us that these others that they wish us to harm are dangerous, toxic, subhuman creatures that we must destroy in our own self-defense, then that allows us to overcome a very natural resistance human beings have to doing awful things to one another. I, I'm thinking of so many of the uh, books I've read about uh, the Holocaust and concentration camps and the way in which uh, concentration camp uh, uh, guards, uh, SS, Nazi soldiers, etc. Um, by by propaganda, I mean, quite literally, the story that Hitler was telling about about Jews and and about some others was about these people are not really human the way we are. But there's also interestingly in some of the memoirs of survivors of concentration camps, 
They said they also experienced a sort of dehumanization even of their peers, which they saw almost as a survival instinct, which mm. which is is that a different mechanism? Well, yes, we'd have to go into some detail about what they had in mind. But yeah. certainly people who are the victims of dehumanization are quite aware generally that they're seen as subhuman creatures. I mean, we find this in the example of the Holocaust. I mean, the two examples that I use most of my work are the Holocaust, which, by the way, has centuries old roots in European antisemitism. Yep. Jews had been dehumanized since the since the 12th century in Europe uh, and also the brutal oppression of black people in the United States, particularly in the aftermath of the American Civil War. And in both those instances, the victims of dehumanization were well aware that they were seen uh, as subhuman creatures, monsters, demons, vermin. As a historical note, uh, what is the is I'm curious whether you're aware of I, I know of of uh, anti-Semitism based in the idea of Jews bringing the plague. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I'm I don't remember if that's 13th century or 14th century. Is that the earliest example you're aware of or is there something prior to that? Well, well dehumanization of Jews, we we find it sporadically earlier. So in the Gospel of John, Jews are described as offspring of Satan. Mm. Right. So that's a very early Christian uh, root of some anti-Semitic ideas. Right. So if you're the offspring of Satan, you're demonic. Yes. This idea of the demonic Jew persisted, but it really took a terrible turn during the first crusade. When Christians marched off to to the Holy Land to win it back from the infidel. And along the way, they decided to attack the infidel in their midst. Remember, Jews were the only religious minority who were permitted to survive in Europe. Right. Um, and it's from this point onward that Jews are racialized. They're seen as an alien and inferior race and seen as demonic, devilish, biologically different. Even it was believed that Jewish men menstruated, that Jews had horns and tails and, and so on. And so it just picks up there. And then after the bubonic plague of the mid 14th century, uh, it, it gets really, really, really bad when it comes to the um, uh, I, I guess we would the dehumanizers, so to speak, sometimes words or terms like they are monsters, they are animals, et cetera, are applied, which is in a sense is a dehumanization of the dehumanizers. Is that is that a pro? Is that something we should be concerned about doing? Are there oh, risks to doing certain, that? Yeah, absolutely. We should be concerned about that. Monsters are fictional. No one is a monster. Hitler was not a monster. I'm Jewish. I can say that Hitler was not a monster. Goebbels was not a monster. These are human beings and it would really benefit us if we considered them as holding up a mirror hmm. to what is possible for any human being, you know, we are all vulnerable. There's no vaccination against dehumanizing attitudes. Is it uh, is the term dehumanization relevant to I'm thinking back a few months now during the coronavirus pandemic, the uh, lieutenant governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, gave this viral interview. I think it was on Fox News where he said something about 
listen, uh, I, I would be willing to sacrifice myself. I think grandma or, or so to speak, something like that. The, they're willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the economy by which he really meant the stock market. Is that a sort of dehumanization that we've seen during coronavirus of when you see a number 4000 died or 3000 died and you just sat in your house and worked from home? It doesn't really feel that 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 difference of a thousand. You don't feel it in any real way. It seems like that's a form of dehumanization. Some people some people would call it dehumanization. I prefer a very fine grained notion of what dehumanization is. So there are a bunch of related attitudes. But you see, I think if we're to understand what I consider the most toxic form of these attitudes, which I reserve the term dehumanization for, we need to get a good understanding of how it works. Otherwise. We, we don't have a chance in hell of dismantling it, mm. right? So I call, would call that callousness. And of course, what he's saying, in fact, is he's willing to sacrifice the lives of life of grandma. Right. Grandma isn't speaking there. Are, th are there uh, things you've observed during the pandemic that you would apply the term dehumanization to? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So what's gone on in this pandemic, as is typical, by the way, of earlier pandemics, is uh, xenophobia. Mm. So the pandemic is is blamed on others, racial others, because race and dehumanization are very closely tied together. And then when you start talking about people as diseased, as dangerous outsiders, you are either well on the way towards dehumanization or actually there. You see, it's it's, it's not regarded as especially acceptable to call people demons and monsters anymore. So we have substitute terms. They're diseased. They're criminal. They're dangerous. They're bad to the bone. And what we get in this pandemic and in previous pandemics is an upsurge in that kind of feeling, which has historically led to all sorts of, of horrible things. It seems as though the rhetoric of dehumanization probably has some specific overlap with authoritarian regimes and authoritarianism. Is it, it can we can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So there are two ways that but I think the first question to, to address is why dehumanization in the first place? And the reason I believe is that human beings being highly social animals have difficulty performing acts of lethal or even sublethal violence on one another. We're just equipped with these inhibitions. Uh, but those are very inconvenient. <laughs> if you want to oppress and exterminate others. Um, so as I said, people in positions of power of authority can tell us, you know, these others, they might look like you and me, they might look like human beings, but really deep down where it counts on the inside, they're something else. And that is absolutely typical of authoritarian going on fascist. If, uh, it, it seems almost like a tool that's necessary for such a regime to advance its its propaganda to uh, you talked about the role of propaganda and dehumanization early. It seems that for for authoritarian regimes, that dehumanization of the other is is necessary for them to advance their goals. It's certainly extremely helpful. I would say maybe near necessary. Mm. I hesitate to say anything is necessary, but it's it is certainly it is certainly helpful. Sometimes 
the dehumanizing ideology is distributed through a community. So I, as I say in the first chapter of On Inhumanity, I grew up in the Deep South in the 50s and 60s, and there, dehumanizing attitudes towards black people, they were, that was in the air you breathe. You didn't right. need a Rush Limbaugh, say, to propagate these things. What, what, how casual was the dehumanization when you were growing up in the South? Oh, it, it was just, it, it, just as, you know, we would, would say the sky is up and the earth is down. Black people who were not referred to by that word, sure. by the way, uh, were seen as filthy, subhuman animals. I mean, that was, kids in my high school would brag about hunting black kids with their BB guns on weekends for sport. Hmm. That's that's uh, and do you rem what was the was there a gradual transition out of that that aligned with the civil rights era, 1964 Civil Rights Act? What did it lag that it it you know, there's a gradual transition, but also a reentrenchment. I mean, mm. these things have not gone away still. Right. We like to think about the New South, but these are these things take a very, very, very long time to change. Right. They, they do not disappear quickly. They can remain latent, relatively invisible for a long period of time. And then the social environment changes a little bit. Someone in power like our, our former president gives permission for certain kinds of attitudes and bang, you know, the Confederate flags are out. What um, where where do things like uh, eugenics and phrenology play into this? Because on the one hand, you know, stuff about measuring skull ratios and all this stuff. It in a sense, it's very human in that we're looking at the minutia of, of the characteristics of the human form. But the, it's its use seems to be dehumanizing. Well, it's, it's actually a, a bit worse than that. So if we look at the history of scientific racism in the United States, yeah, during the period when these practices were beginning to flourish, Eugenics is a bit later, but certainly the skull measurement uh, work. The premier scientific authorities in the country described black people as literally another species. Hmm. There were learned um, papers on, on this, and mixed race people were seen as literally as hybrids between different species. So these See, you see there the, the dehumanizing attitude is endorsed by scientific authority. It could be scientific authority. It could be political. authority. It's anyone who has that kind of influence. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that makes and I know you write about this in the book. It, it brings me to the topic of climate change and climate science. Yeah. What, what do you see? Maybe to the audience, it's not obvious the connection between dehumanization, the way we've talked about in authoritarian regimes and, and so on, and the connection to climate change. Yeah, well, uh, the the aspect of climate change that's most salient for me in my work on dehumanization is that I think catastrophic climate change, which I don't think anyone's going to do anything about. I think we're well too late for that. And there's insufficient motivation, despite the fine words that are, are said, is going to create a situation which is a perfect storm for really dangerous forms of dehumanization. Hmm. There will be refugee problems like the world has never known 
You know, when when the population of Bangladesh spills into India, <laughs> um, and uh, resources run short and infrastructures break down, this is going to generate intense xenophobia. And I would put good money on dehumanizing rhetoric of the worst, most genocidal sort. Is the only way to prevent it to prevent the climate refugees from becoming refugees? I mean, is it is if that happens, is there yeah. really any way to prevent what you're describing? I'd, I'd like to know and I'd like to th I'd like to think that there is. Yeah, we're human beings. We can we can change our behavior, uh, but we have to know about it. We have to be aware of it. We have to be vigilant and there have to be policies in place to help us. And uh, I just don't think we're awake enough to the possibilities to take the sorts of steps which will be necessary. That's one reason I wrote the book. Right. Dehumanization is an ongoing problem. And to do something about it, we have to understand it. We have to understand how it works, why we are all vulnerable to dehumanizing propaganda and what steps we might be able to take to at least constrain it. The uh, the book is on inhumanity, dehumanization and how to resist it. We've been speaking with the book's author, Professor David Livingstone Smith, uh, an important uh, topic. And I appreciate you joining me to talk about it today. I appreciate you inviting me. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors today is Helix Sleep, and it's a sponsor I'm thrilled about because I sleep on a Helix mattress at home and it's just the perfect mattress. One of the best things about Helix is you don't have to guess which mattress do I need, which one will be good for me. You take their famous sleep quiz on their website. You tell them your body type, your sleeping position, your back pain issues you might have, and they will pair you with a mattress that will be perfect for you. I took the sleep quiz. The mattress they suggested was exactly what I needed. I often get too hot at night. The mattress keeps me cool. It's not too soft. It's not too firm. The texture is right. And I've just been getting way better sleep. You only buy a mattress every decade or so. Don't get stuck with something that's not perfect for you. And all Helix mattresses come with a 10 year warranty and they'll even come to your house and pick it up within 100 days if you don't love it. But I think you will. All of my viewers will get up to $200 off your order and you'll get two super premium pillows for free when you go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H E L I X sleep.com forward slash P A K M A N. You can also find the link in the podcast notes for this episode. If one of your goals for the new year is cutting back on carbs or sugar, check out our sponsor Monk Pack. Monk Pack keto nut and seed bars are delicious sweet snacks with less than one gram of sugar, only two to three grams of net carbs and just about 150 calories. Perfect for a keto or low carb diet or just about anyone who wants to eat better by cutting back on sugar. I love the monk pack keto nut and seed bars because they're really just a perfect balance of sweet and salty, soft and chewy with a nice crunch from the nuts and seeds, 
flavors include sea salt, dark chocolate, pecan almond and peanut butter, dark chocolate, my personal favorite. And they'll give you all of your money back if you don't love it. Go shop for Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars at MonkPack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. And you'll get 20% off when using the coupon code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about this new wave of very radical and also extraordinarily ignorant. I mean, completely vapid on policy, Trumpian members of Congress. The three we've been focusing on are Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Boebert and Madison Cawthorn. And the last 24 to 48 hours have been an absolute disaster for Marjorie Taylor Greene to the point that now Democrats are considering mechanisms to expel her from Congress. And even Republicans really should be thinking about how do we distance from this absolutely outrageous radical Two new, uh, uh, not new two videos have now come to light. Um, and in one of these videos, I'm sure many of you remember the tragic and and uh, completely um, uh, disheartened. I don't even know what the word is to use for it. The unconscionably tragic shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. And you may remember this activist, David Hogg, who was a student at the time that the school was uh, a victim to that mass shooting. There is video of Marjorie Taylor Greene um, essentially uh, harassing David Hogg, following him on the street. This was first reported back in June of last year. It is again going viral, and I'm going to play the video in its entirety for you. This is this is Marjorie Taylor Greene, a full grown woman following David Hogg around Washington, D.C., harassing him. Yeah. David, why are you supporting the red flag laws? If there had been, if Scott Peterson, the resource officer at Parkland, had done his job, then Nicholas Cruz wouldn't have killed anybody in your high school, or at least protected them. Why are you supporting red flag gun laws that attack our Second Amendment rights? And why are you using kids to get to, as a barrier? Do you not know how to defend your stance? Look, I'm an American citizen. I'm a gun owner. I have a concealed carry permit. I carry a gun with, for protection for myself. And you are using your lobby and the money behind it and the kids to try to take away my Second Amendment rights. You don't have anything to say for yourself? You can't defend your stance? How did you get over 30 appointments with senators? How'd you do that? How did you get major press coverage on this issue? And how did you get kids? Why do you use kids? Why kids? You know, if school if school zones were protected by with security guards with guns, there would be no mass shootings at schools. Do you know that? The best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is with a good guy with a gun. But yet you're attacking our Second Amendment. And you have nothing to say. No words. So I'm walking. He's got nothing to say. Sad. He has nothing to say because there really isn't anything to say, you guys. He has nothing to say because he's paid to do this. He has the walkaway march. He's mm -hmm. got the 
Um, he's got the Women's March, and they're funding all of this. Every Town Gun USA, they're funding all this stuff, okay? That was David Hogue right there. David, we saw him inside the Senate building. He had 30, 30 um, appointments where he ran around and got to talk to senators. I got to talk to none, none. He had media coverage all over the place. I had zero. Guess what? I'm a gun owner. I'm an American citizen. And I have nothing but this guy with his George Soros funding and his major liberal funding has got everything. I want you to think about that. That's where we are. And he's a coward. He can't say one word because he can't defend his stand. Uh, and this is not the only video of Marjorie Taylor Greene harassing people that is now uh, sort of being revived. Uh, here is one of Marjorie Taylor Greene before she was elected. This is February of 2019. She showed up at the House of Representatives and was walking around the halls with a Bible with the idea of finding Congresswoman uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib to get them to retake their oaths on a Bible rather than a Quran. And you'll hear her talk incorrectly about how the oath isn't valid if taken on a Quran, which which is just not true. Here's that video. They signed it. They swore in on the Quran. Oh, we have the Bible. We're going to talk about swearing in on the oath, how to swear in on the Bible with them and let them know what our law says that you can't swear in on the Quran. So we're going to we're going to explain that, you know, we're going to explain about how you can't swear in on the Quran and we're going to have the Bible and ask them if they would swear in on the Bible that we really need. them. Yeah, we have the oath. Yep. So I think no, that's important. Now they can. The sad thing is, now you're infringing on our religion. Yes. By saying that we can't swear in on the Quran. But when they swore in, it wasn't a law yet, right? At the time they swore in. I don't know. I think at the time they swore in, that wasn't passed. Because it wouldn't have been passed in a Republican control. Yeah, so it was passed after they swore in. So they're not really official, I don't think. So let's go ask them to swear in in the Bible, because like you is said, it, Will, it I'm... It has to be the Holy Bible? I, yeah, it has to be the Bible. The well, the bottom, be, line is, is Shia, the bottom line is Sharia yeah. law is not compatible with, with America. Yep. That's, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. How can you say you represent women, but you support Sharia law? This is currently an elected official not just a low level elected official. This is one of 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives. And I don't care what happens to the Republican Party in terms of unity or you know, I, I hope for the demise of the Republican Party. I think there would be no better thing than Donald Trump launching this third party he's reportedly thinking of and dividing the Republican Party. If the Republican Party has to fight off Trump's party, uh, the Patriot Party or whatever, it will hopefully allow Joe Biden and Democrats and the more progressive elements of the Democratic Party to get things done. That being said, if Republicans don't denounce Marjorie Taylor Greene's extremism, if they don't denounce the absurdity of Lauren Boebert, if they don't denounce the just vapid politics of Madison Cawthorn, they're going to own it. Now, maybe they're OK with that. Maybe Republicans believe that they should be going more in this direction rather than going back to not that it was what I agreed with, but more to the politics of people like John McCain, as an example, or more in the direction of someone like Mitt Romney. But the Republican Party now has it's it's a contingent that I don't I, it's a conspiratorial paranoid 
fringe radical element that was not there before. And there's been a lot of radical stuff. I mean, listen, Louis Gohmert has been at Matt Gates. These people, these people are bonkers. But this is sort of just taking it up to another level. I'm not saying anybody else is, is good. I'm not saying I agree with Louis Gohmert. I'm just saying this is another level of crazy. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene also, uh, uh, unfortunately for her, uh, some Facebook posts were uncovered where years ago she was talking about uh, killing Democrats. And I think her defense is that lots of people help her manage her page, basically saying it wasn't me who actually posted it. This is absolutely disgusting, depraved uh, uh, stuff. And for the sake of the Republican Party, um, they should say that this does not represent us. Democrats looking into how could she be expelled from the House of Representatives? I don't know how likely that is to happen, but extraordinarily, extraordinarily disturbing stuff. Hey, uh, this is very interesting. We've been thinking out loud what is going to be the landing spot for lots of former Trump administration officials. And one of the uh, former administration officials that uh, as the Trump administration was winding down, I said this person deserves this person should be unhirable for the degree of dishonesty and humiliation that they participated in uh, during the Trump administration. I was talking about one of Donald Trump's former press secretaries, Kaylee McEnany, and uh, we sort of said maybe she'll do some kind of communication or consulting for some right wing group. Maybe she'll become a pundit or go back to being a pundit or something like that. Crew, the Citizens for Ethics Watch, uh, Citizens for Ethics. I forget what the W stands for. Citizens for Ethics, I think. Watch. They found a. Uh, they found in Kaylee McEnany's financial disclosures, um, an indication that Kaylee had a gig lined up with Fox News, and of course that would not be in any way surprising to us. There is a sort of revolving door, in fact, between Fox News. And the Trump administration, Trump often even thinking of hiring people after seeing them on Fox News. Uh, this document was exposed and it was revealed that Kaylee McEnany reached an agreement with Fox News uh, to start working there this month. However, after this was revealed, um, there was a statement put out by Fox News saying simply Kaylee McEnany is not currently an employee or contributor at Fox News. What may have happened here, and at this point it is mere speculation, is that while the agreement was in place early in January for Kaylee to start at Fox News, the January 6th riots and just the disaster that ended up being the final days of the Trump administration made Fox rethink at least temporarily this deal. And while I think it is completely plausible that in a month, in two months, in six months, who knows, Kaylee McEnany is going to show up as a contributor on Fox News, it seems maybe they have just paused it and they're deciding to delay this. And if you look at the very carefully worded statement from Fox News, again, their only statement was Kaylee McEnany is not currently an employee or contributor at Fox News. It seems as though they are choosing to delay that. Now, there were also other really interesting things in Kaylee McEnany's financial disclosure. One is that the uh, on campus right wing group Turning Point USA, which is um, uh, Charlie Kirk is the guy who's known to be the sort of public facing figure of that organization. Turning Point USA paid for a sixty five hundred dollar gift 
for Kaylee and a guest to go to an event in which she received an award. Okay, in December, Kaylee went to the Winter Gala at Mar-a-Lago, and there were obviously questions about what there's a there's a pandemic. What the hell are they doing? She was given an award by Turning Point USA at Trump's Mar-a-Lago, and she was given a sixty-five hundred dollar gift. She also re, uh, reported receiving close to two hundred thousand dollars in salary and bonus from the Trump campaign and RNC. Um, and that includes a few months before she started working at the White House. But it is reported that she was still getting paid twelve thousand dollars or more by the campaign after working at the White House campaign employee, government employee. Same time while getting gifts from Turning Point USA and making deals with Fox News while uh, still the press secretary of the United States. It's wacky stuff. I don't think any of us will find this to be even remotely surprising. If we were wondering about the trajectory on Fox News for the next couple of years, hiring one of the biggest Trump liars and sycophants hints to me that they're not planning on getting away from the Trumpy stuff. They, in fact, they may Fox News may have to go more pro Trump in order to compete with OAN and Newsmax. Remember that in the aftermath of Trump not being able to steal the election from Joe Biden, many Fox News viewers abandoned Fox News and went over to OAN and or Newsmax. And this is a, a real issue for Fox News. If they believe that they need to go more Trumpy to maintain or regain their audience, where do the traditional conservatives go? Not that I care, but I am certainly curious about that. And if Republicans learn nothing from Trump and move further in the Trumpian direction, do the traditional Republicans become centrist Democrats? I, I'm genuinely unsure. I don't feel bad for them. The traditional Republicans, starting with Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, going to Newt Gingrich in the 1990s, they benefited from the same anti-intellectualism uh, that led to Trump. So I don't feel bad for them at all. It's merely a curiosity. Where do they go if Fox News goes full Trump? Um, for now, Kaylee McEnany will not be joining Fox News. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here is a Bernie voter who so far is pleased with Joe Biden. Take a listen, hey David. I was a big Bernie supporter, and I wasn't naive enough to think that uh, voting for somebody else would benefit the Democrats or my beliefs as a progressive. So I voted for Biden, and voting for Biden right now, and like you said, in the first six or seven days, he's actually already impressed me. I understand it's only executive orders, and nothing's been brought to the Senate or sure. the House yet, but I actually feel more optimistic than I originally did, and I'm really excited about it. And thanks, David. And by the way, this is Stuart from Wisconsin, and his wife Jenny thinks his shirt's still too busy. I like the yellow one; it reminds me of Star Trek a little bit. All right, thanks, David. Appreciate everything. Was that my sweater is filthy busy? I've never heard that. I don't know what the kids these days are talking about, but I've never heard that before. Uh, I think that that's very interesting to hear. And I've heard from a bunch of Bernie supporters uh, who are saying so far, I mean, in, for the first week of Joe Biden, he, he's really actually done quite a few things, including things like a freezing a Saudi arms deal that I, I think very few people expected him to do, certainly within the first week. So we will continue tracking and holding Joe Biden accountable, but much to be pleased about in the first seven or eight days. We have much to talk about on today's bonus show, including this is crazy. 
China is deploying an anal swab for covid testing. Why? Why is this necessary? We will talk about the medical elements involved there. Uh, also, the Pence's Mike and Karen are apparently homeless and couch surfing right now. What is going on with that and more on the GameStop short squeeze on today's bonus show? Sign up at joinpacman.com. I'll see you there. <laughs> 